When we lived in Muskogee, we would go floating down the Illinois River a couple of times a year. And at some point during the float trip, we would always kind of pull off and to eat lunch and just swim around for a bit. Part of what we did when we would pull off and do this was we would wade out into the current and see how, how deep we could get into the current while we could still touch and see how we could stand against the current. Um, we would try to resist the current as it pushed us downstream and we were trying to resist to see who could resist the longest, who could, you know, it was just kind of a feat of strength to see who was the strongest person there that could stand up and resist the current that was pushing us in the opposite direction of what we were trying to go. You know, spiritually speaking, those of us who seek to proclaim the gospel have to do something similar to this. Now, we aren't in the midst of a literal stream trying to push us down, but we are standing in a spiritual current. And we are trying to resist it. Everything in the world wants us to compromise on the gospel. Right? Everything in the world wants us to, to change it, to alter it, to, to do something to make it more palpable, more acceptable, to make it stricter, to do something. Um, and it's pushing. And it's always pushing to try to lead us downstream away from the gospel. Right? And as we have seen, when someone drifts away from the gospel, they drift away from salvation toward damnation. As proclaimers of the gospel, if we drift away from the gospel, we lead people astray as we try to help them come to know Jesus Christ. The gospel is and must always remain the primary message of the church. We have to explicitly proclaim it. The people must then respond to it with repentance and faith. And the danger, the greatest danger we will face as proclaimers of the gospel is to give in to the current that is pushing us downstream. And there are multiple ways that we can be pushed downstream. It's not always with liberalism like we talked about last week. There are other currents that seek to push us away from the gospel. And what we have to do is we have to be committed, we have to be strong, and we have to stand in the gospel and not drift one way or another. We're going to talk about tonight how to keep from drifting and how to stand in the gospel again. So open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to read the first 11 verses. We're going to primarily focus on verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> um, when you find that, I'm going to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. First Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which you have received, and wherein you stand. By which also you are saved, if you keep in memory that which I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, that He was seen of Cephas and of the twelve, and after that He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of all the apostles, that I am not, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and this grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believe. The title of the message tonight is... Standing in the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. Uh, you are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And Lord, we, we do need your strength and your wisdom as we seek to stand in the gospel and not give in to the, 
the currents of the culture that would seek to push us away. Help us, Lord, as we study tonight or what we look at to take it to heart. And Lord, to take your word seriously, to let it sink into the good places of our heart that it would bear good fruit. Help us to be bold and faithful proclaimers of the gospel. Give us opportunities to share Jesus throughout our lives and throughout our weeks. And Lord, let us see people turn to Christ in repentance and faith. And Lord, just to know, just to know the, the blessing and the, the goodness of getting to help someone come to know Christ. Fill me tonight with your spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me to speak your words and your ways for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Right, so, just a reminder of the progression of the Gospels that came to Corinthians in verses 1 and 2. Paul had preached the Gospel to them. When Paul arrived at Corinth, he determined to know nothing among them save Christ and Him crucified. They had received the Gospel. After Paul preached about Jesus, they had intentionally received the Gospel by repenting of their sins and believing in Jesus. They were saved through the Gospel. The Gospel is necessary at every stage of our Salvation. The gospel is and will always be of primary importance. Then they were standing in the gospel. right? They, while they were being tempted and there were philosophies coming in that were trying to push them away, streams that were trying to push them with it, they had not yet given into it and they were still standing in the gospel. Now Paul says in verse 2, <clears throat> they're saved by the gospel. They keep in memory what he had preached to them. In other words, they were saved by the gospel if they continue to believe the gospel unto the end. Very similar to what Jesus said when he, when he declared that those who, who are faithful to the end will be saved, but those who don't will not. But a person who does not believe the gospel is not saved. I mean, this doesn't matter if at one point in their life they made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, but now they no longer believe the gospel, they are not saved. A person must believe the gospel in order to be saved. That's why we, as proclaimers of the gospel, we have to tell people, you've got to stand in the gospel. But at the same time, we have to stand in the gospel. Right? We know that if people drift from the gospel, they drift from salvation to damnation. We know that if we drift from the gospel, that we lead people astray. So our, our key truth is we must stand in the gospel to faithfully proclaim the gospel. I cannot preach a gospel I do not believe. If I am going to faithfully proclaim the gospel, I must stand in the gospel. And we've talked about last week, there are multiple ways that we have to stand in the gospel, resist the currents. One, we talked about last week, was we have to refuse to take away from the gospel. Right? We have to reject liberalism that wants to minimize certain doctrines or do away with them altogether. Another way we stand in the gospel is that we refuse to add to the gospel. Right? Refuse to add to the gospel. This is legalism. Legalism adds to the gospel where liberalism takes away from the gospel. Now, as free will Baptists, Free will Baptists are, have always been a very conservative denomination. Always have been. To the best I can see for the foreseeable future, we always will be. Now, as such, Free will Baptists have spent a great deal of time through the years fighting against theological liberalism. They have defended against it. They've preached against it. They've written articles against it. And they have done what they can to stand in the gospel and not give in to the current of liberalism. However, what we have not spent a great deal of time defending against is legalism. 
Right? We have not given forth the effort to push back against that that we have toward liberalism. The, the reasoning seems to be we don't see legalism as being as dangerous as liberalism. However, I contend it is every bit as deadly, every bit as wrong, and leads people astray every bit as surely as liberalism does. Right? So if we're going to make a statement like that, we've got to know what legalism is. Legalism is when people seek to earn or secure righteousness in God's sight through good works. Right? Legalists, people who are legalistic, believe they earn or they maintain their salvation through their good works. In other words, for a legalist, they believe they can earn God's favor or that they, they in some way merit God's favor or God's approval by performing their good works. A legalist may believe, and there's a lot of variations with it, a legalist may believe that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, but you're kept, you're, you stay saved through your good works. Some may believe that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, plus your good works. Right? And so always what legalism does, where liberalism tries to take something away, legalism tries to add to the gospel, tries to add to what is, what is clearly laid out as the gospel in Scripture. Legalism adds human rules or human traditions to the gospel and then acts as if these human rules and human traditions are God's rules. Right? So it's not just... A legalist isn't just one who says, I prefer this. A legalist says, I prefer this, God prefers this, and if you don't prefer this, you're either not saved or you are not the Christian I am. Right? Legalists take their rules, their traditions, and they elevate them to at least the level of Scripture, in some cases, over Scripture. Let me show you this. From the Bible. Turn to Mark chapter 7. Um, and I didn't write the page number down, so I don't know what page it is. It's page 1507 in my Bible, if that helps anyone. Now, notice what's going on. Here's what happens. Then came together... Unto Jesus, the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, which came from Jerusalem, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, do not eat, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they had come from the market, except they wash, they eat not, and many other things there be which they have received to hold, such as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables, and then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Now the word legalism is never found in Scripture. But the principle is found all throughout Scripture and is often warned against. This passage is a case in point. Pharisees were the epitome of legalists. They were very legalistic. They were very self-righteous. The Pharisees believed that in order for anyone to be a good Jew, devoted to Yahweh, you had to be just like them. And in our text, what they are is they are 
upset with the disciples because they had violated one of the traditions that was handed down from the elders. Now this particular tradition said, you don't eat without first washing your hands. Particularly if you've been at the market. And if you have a pot or a vessel of these other things, you wash them before you cook with them and before you eat on them and before you use them. Now the reasoning was, you had to be careful if you went out to the market because you could have touched something that was ceremonially unclean without knowing. One unclean person could have touched this pew and then I come along and I touch the pew and now I'm unclean because I've touched what they've touched. And so you wash your hands so you don't get their cooties on you and you don't eat it and take it into yourself. All in all, my mom taught me the, the very same thing. My mom taught me, wash your hands before you eat. If you go to Walmart and you handle the card and the stuff there, you wash your hands before you stick your hands in your mouth. If you buy silverware or plates at Walmart, you wash them before you eat off of them because of the germs and things that could be there. Now, however, what they had done was that they had placed such an emphasis on this, they considered not washing your hands, not washing the pots and things, to be sin. If you didn't wash your hands before you ate, you had sinned against God. We see this in verse 2. It says that they found fault with the disciples. And the idea of finding fault is that they, that this is, they saw this as a reason the disciples were not law-abiding Jews. Right? They used this as a reason to condemn the disciples as not being faithful to God. Now the problem with this is that washing your hands before you ate wasn't actually God's law. It was a part of oral tradition. Now oral tradition was important. Oral tradition was the way they understood a lot of God's law. So God's law said you, you had to not eat gnats and all of these unclean things. And so a group of religious leaders got together and they said... Well, if we can't take unclean things in our mouth and it defiles us, how can we be sure that we're, we're protected against that? Because there's all kinds of people in the market. And so they got together and they discussed it. Well, what if we did this? I, what if we washed our hands with running water before we ate? That would ensure that we were not unclean. And everybody said, hey, that's a great idea. So this is, okay, now here's what we're going to do as, as a Jewish people. We're going to wash our hands. And it was a good idea, but it was not God's law. It was man's idea. It was a tradition. It had been passed down from generation to generation. Now, the, the tradition itself wasn't the problem. There's nothing inherently wrong with traditions. In a lot of ways, traditions and preferences are the same thing. Traditions are what we've always done or what we've done a long time. Preferences are what we prefer. We all have traditions. Our church, we're having church on a Wednesday night. It's not in the Bible. Do you know the Bible doesn't command us to have a Wednesday night service. It is our tradition to do this. We all have our preferences. We like certain kinds of music, certain Bible translations. These are our preferences. And there's nothing wrong with those things. The problem comes when we begin to say our traditions are God's laws. 
And any church in town that doesn't have a Wednesday night service, they are not faithful to God. And anybody that doesn't sing the songs we sing or use the Bible I use, they are not faithful to God. That is where you you move into the issue of legalism. And if we aren't careful, we can all become Pharisees and start thinking other people aren't as good of Christians as we are or aren't Christians at all if they do not have the same traditions and the same preferences we do. That is the essence of legalism. Now, let me be careful here. Because some will push back and say, are you saying you can never say do this or do that or it's legalism? No, I'm not saying that. Scripture tells us a lot of things we are supposed to do and a lot of things we are not supposed to do. So to say the Bible says do this, that's not legalism. To say the Bible says don't do that, that is not legalism. But if I begin to say, I prefer this, or I was raised, and in my church tradition we always did this, and if we don't do it now, it's a compromise, and those who don't do it, they don't love Jesus like I do, that is legalism. Legalism elevates man's tradition and man's standard to the level of Scripture. Legalists are not those who believe obedience to God is a legitimate and important response to salvation. I've been saved by God, therefore I ought to obey God. That's not legalism. That is an understanding of what God has done to secure my salvation. Legalists are those who elevate their preferences and their traditions to the level of Scripture and condemn anyone who does not follow these traditions. This is why it's critical for us to understand the difference between a biblical principle and a personal preference. A biblical principle is something rooted in Scripture. A personal preference is rooted in what I like or rooted in what I have always done or what our church has always done. Right? And we see this here. Look at at verse 3. Uh, at the end, they refer to this as the tradition of the elders. In verse 5, they refer to it as the tradition of the elders. The New Living Translation refers to them as age-old traditions. And the, the idea is, these were things they had done for a very, very long time. And what they said is, we have done these for a very, very long time. It's like it, it's just God Himself has given them to us. And to not do what we've always done, that's compromise, that's sin, and that's wrong. The warning to us is just because we've done something a certain way, even if we've done it for a very long time, that doesn't make it biblical. No, that doesn't make it unbiblical. It just doesn't mean, or it just means it's not the same as Scripture. We can't confuse what we've always done, or what we've done for a long time, or what we really like, or what makes us feel good, With a biblical command. Legalism turns us into Pharisees. Who thinks in order for someone to be a Christian. Or to be a good Christian. They have to believe and act and dress and talk. And do everything just like we do. And liberalism pushes us away from Jesus. 
just as surely as liberalism does. Legalism is drifting from the gospel just as surely as liberalism is. This is why we must stand in the gospel to be faithful with the gospel and refuse to add to the gospel. Now, in order to do this, we have to understand the appeal of legalism because there is an appeal. Despite the fact legalism is a form of drifting from the gospel, there is an appeal. There is an appeal from the the preacher's standpoint and there is an appeal from the people's standpoint. Legalism reduces Christianity to a list of do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. And as long as you do your do's and you don't do your don'ts, you are good with God, you are right in the center of His will, everything is as it should be. Now here's the attraction. From a preacher's standpoint, The biblical preaching, it's meant to be more than just transfer of information. I've studied and learned something. I pass it on to you. You know more than when you came. It's meant to change our lives. The Bible is given to change our lives. So we should be different because of what we learn. But if we're into legalism, if I'm into legalism, and I've reduced it down to a series of do's and don'ts, and I preach do this and don't do that, and then you all go out there and you do this or you don't do that, I'm going to feel pretty good about myself. You're doing all the things I say you ought to do. You're not doing any of the things I say you ought not do. Obviously, I'm a very effective preacher. Because everybody's doing their do's. And nobody's doing their don'ts. Huzzah for me. That's the appeal for the preacher. But there is an appeal for the people as well. One of the main reasons, one of the main ways legalism appeals to people is because it feeds our pride and our self-righteousness. I mean, the gospel is we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. We don't add to or take away from that. Jesus saved us. God planned it. Jesus secured it. The Holy Spirit revealed it. The Holy Spirit changed us and drew us. All we did was essentially say, yes, Lord. And that's humbling. But if I get to do something, If I get to, I did it. I I came looking for God. I was sitting at home and I just decided I needed God. And so I came. And I started doing things. I came to church and I told the preacher I wanted to be baptized. And I prayed at an altar. Now I read my Bible. Now I come to church. I, I tithe. I'm saved because look at what I do. It's me. Look how great I am. And that's what legalism does. When you reduce Christianity to a list of do's and don'ts, you can end your day and you can look at all the do's you've done and you can say, gosh, I'm awesome. We can pray like the Pharisee in Luke 17. Lord, I thank you. I'm not as other men. I mean, I give a tithe of all that I possess. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not like these guys over here. Wow. I thank you how great I am. And that's what legalism does. It fuels that. And the reality is, all of us, as people, we are naturally proud. We are naturally self-righteous. And so legalism 
It feeds the part of ourselves we may not like to talk about, but is there. And it makes us feel good. Legalism also appeals to us because it allows us to keep low standards of spiritual living. Right? Because here's what legalism does. With legalism, I can compare myself to others. So, red, red does a lot more of his do's than I do. And he's a whole lot better at his don'ts than I am, but I'm better than Scott. I do more do's than Scott, and, and I do more don'ts than Scott. I don't do more, I don't do as many, I do my don'ts and Scott doesn't. <laughs> Therefore, I, I may not be as good as red, but I'm better than Scott. So, I'm okay. Now, Here's why that's a big issue. Because in the Bible, it's not about comparison, is it? It's about me dealing with Jesus. What does Jesus want me to do? Think about when Peter, was Jesus was risen. And Jesus told Peter, hey, the day is going to come. And you're going to have to go and do things you don't want to do. And you're going to take you by the hand and stretch you out. And Peter says, but John. And Jesus said, don't worry about John. You follow me. See, that's Christianity. That's discipleship. I follow Jesus. And I follow Jesus whether Red does or not. And I follow Jesus whether Red's better at following Jesus than I am. I, I don't have to, I don't look at other people and compare myself to them. I look to Jesus and say, Am I doing all the things Jesus wants me to do? Well, that's hard. That requires a lot from me. But legalism allows me to say, better, not as good, so I should probably try harder here. And as long as I can find somebody I'm better than, well, I can keep my standards way down low. And another appeal to legalism is we don't have to put forth any effort. Which sounds strange considering it's all about what we do, but think about it like this. All that matters in legalism, is doing the do's, not doing the don'ts. So, if one of the do's is read my Bible, all I have to do is read my Bible. Now, how many of us know that we can read chapters of the Bible in two or three minutes if we just kind of skim, right? We're not, we're not meditating on it. We're not letting it sink into our hearts. We're not doing anything to, to change. All we're doing is just skimming the words. And then when I finish my chapters, I check my box. And then I'm going to pray. So I've got my prayer list. and Bless them and help them and God there and do that. And I'm not thinking. I'm not putting forth any effort. I, I check my box. Well, then I come to church. And, and I sing the songs. Because, I mean, we sing, I know the songs, so I don't have to really engage in what the words are saying or what they mean because I know them. And then the preacher preaches, and, and I don't have to really listen and pay attention because I'm just here. All that matters is that I'm here. And, and I end up like what Jesus talks about in verse 6. Well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, these people draw near to me with their, or honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Right? And legalism enables me not to put forth any effort. But discipleship, that's different, right? I mean, if I'm going to read the Bible to grow, to be challenged, to be changed, to have my mind renewed and my life transformed, 
That takes effort. It takes a slower time of reading. It takes the willingness maybe to write some things down, to ask myself, what am I doing wrong in light of what this says? It takes effort in praying. It takes effort in church. It takes effort in all we do. And legalism frees me from all of that. So there is an appeal. I can say and I can do all the right things. But deep down, my heart is still far from God. Because legalism is a drift from the gospel. Legalism will never draw us close to Jesus. This is why we must stand in the gospel. To be faithful with the gospel and refuse to add to the gospel. So as, as disciples and as proclaimers, we must understand the appeal of the gospel or of legalism. Secondly, we have to understand the danger of legalism. One of the many reasons people do not take legalism as seriously as liberalism is they just don't see the danger. But scripture doesn't have that perspective. Turn to Galatians 1. It's page 890. Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9, we have looked at already in this series. Paul says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you to the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Which is not another, but there would be some that would trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you other than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed, as we have said before. So so say I now again. If any man preach another gospel unto you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. So Paul's argument. Those who were coming to Galatia and starting trouble in the churches were preaching another gospel. Right, It wasn't just another way to believe. It was an entirely different gospel. It was leading them astray. And it was another gospel. It was a perversion of the gospel. And those who preached it were accursed. Right, So they were damned by God is what accursed means. Now here's the question. What is the other gospel the Judaizers were bringing? Was it liberalism? Was it Unitarianism? Was it Gnosticism? No. It was legalism. It was their own form of legalism. The Judaizers were Jews, often Pharisees, who had converted to Christianity. They had embraced Jesus as the Messiah, but they had a problem with the gospel. They could not accept salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It was just too easy. Right? I mean, how can you say that Jesus does all the saving and and I don't have to do anything? Jesus just saves me. On top of that, what about the Jewish heritage of Christianity? Shouldn't these Gentiles who are coming in and worshiping our God and our Messiah, shouldn't they have to do Jewish things? I mean, shouldn't they have to be circumcised on the eighth day? 
Shouldn't they have to keep the dietary laws? Shouldn't they have to keep the certain holy days? Yes, the Judaizers said they, they must. And so they went to Galatia and they told the churches there, in order to be completed, in order to truly be saved, you must follow the law. And this is how you know that you know that you know you're a Christian when you're circumcised, when you eat according to dietary laws, when you keep the high and holy days. And the believers in Galatia were considering this. And some had probably already started following some of the other rituals. The big one was circumcision. That was the sign. They were the men of God. So Paul writes the book of Galatians to deal with the Judaizers' legalism. And urge the Galatian Christians to stand fast in the gospel. There is a whole book of the Bible dedicated To fighting against legalism. Because Paul knew legalism was just as deadly. Just as much of a drift from the gospel. Just as damning as liberalism was. We cannot take away from the gospel and it be the gospel. But neither can we add to the gospel and it be the gospel. Speaking on liberalism and legalism, Pastor Tim Keller said, here's a test. If you think one of these errors is much more dangerous than the other, you are probably partially accepting of the one you fear less. So if we hear this and we think legalism is so much more dangerous than liberalism, so much better to err on the side of being kind and gentle. We think that because we're already drifting into liberalism. But at the same time, if we hear this and say, oh, I see what you're saying, but surely liberalism is worse. Surely taking away is more dangerous. The reason we think that is because we are already drifting into legalism. They are equally damning, equally dangerous. Let me prove this to you. Turn ahead to Galatians 5 and 2. Now, as we look at these verses, keep in mind, Paul is writing about legalism, right? He's not writing about the liberalism we talked about last week, but but legalism. And here's what he says. Verse two. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, because that was the big thing. Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. That's an amazing statement that Paul makes there. He tells them if they become circumcised in order to be saved or to stay saved or to complete their salvation. They will be obligated to keep the whole law. And not only that. But if they were to seek to be right with God through circumcision and keeping the law then Jesus would not benefit them. They would cut themselves off from Christ as they circumcised themselves for righteousness. And they would fall from grace. Now, circumcision wasn't the issue. Right? This was not the issue. Keep in mind, in Paul's ministry, he had two Gentile converts, Timothy and Titus, 
one of whom he had circumcised and the other of whom he did not. Circumcision was not the issue. The issue was depending upon circumcision in order to be saved, to stay saved, or to earn merit with God. If they were going to depend on this outward act for their right standing from God, then Jesus could not help them. Because they were saying what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough. That what Jesus did on the cross wasn't sufficient. And by depending on the actions of legalism for their right standing with God, they would cut themselves off from Jesus and all He accomplished on the cross. They would depart from the faith. They would become apostates. That is what legalism still does. Now, it may be different forms of legalism today, but the effect is still the same. If I'm depending on my church attendance for my salvation, Christ will profit me nothing. If I'm depending on how much I read the Bible for my salvation, then Christ will profit me nothing. If I'm depending on how generous I am, how much I give, then Christ will profit me nothing. My good deeds, if I'm saying that's my merit, I deserve salvation because of this, then Christ profits me nothing. I am cutting myself off and I am departing from the faith. Just as surely, just as surely as if I say Jesus really didn't rise from the dead. It is just as damning as that. We must stand in the gospel to be faithful with the gospel. We must refuse to add to the gospel. This requires us to understand the danger of legalism. And then just stand in the gospel. Look at what Paul says in chapter 5 and verse 1. Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now this is, man this is powerful. We don't have time to get into everything I want to with this. But what he's saying. When Paul came to Galatia. They were enslaved. They were enslaved to sin. They were enslaved to Satan. They were enslaved to their idolatry. And then he preached Christ and him crucified. They repented. They believed and Jesus set them free. And what their need was at this time was to stand fast in the freedom the gospel brought to them and not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. What is the yoke of bondage? Legalism. They are going to trade one kind of bondage, the sin and to Satan, for another kind of bondage to that of legalism. And in Paul's mind, this is not a good trade. In Paul's mind, it is just as bad over here with legalism as it was over here with sin. It is not deliverance. It is not progressing. It is the opposite. Slavery, legalism is slavery to the law for them. For us, it is slavery to our traditions. Slavery to our preferences. Slavery to what we have been taught is what perfects us and makes us right. As Christians. Jesus has set us free. From slavery to sin. That's that's a part of the gospel. And if we're not careful. We go from being slaves to sin. 
to being slaves to legalism. And one kind of slavery is not better than the other. They are both miserable, life-altering, life-stealing, soul-crushing. Now the legalistic slavery we submit ourselves to isn't exactly the same of what the Judaizers were promoting. Instead of submitting to circumcision and Jewish customs, we submit ourselves to religious rules and cultural traditions. While the form of legalism is different, the essence and the effects are the same. It does exactly the same thing. Legalism of our day cuts people off from Christ every bit as much as the legalism of the Judaizers. As proclaimers of the gospel, the danger for us is not only in that we slip into legalism, but we then deliver that onto others and we put that yoke upon them. That we try to help them out of slavery to sin only to make them slaves to our form of legalism. Cannot, we cannot do this. Jesus did not come for us to reduce his being his disciple to a list of do's and don'ts. He came, really, if you think about it, to change us, to transform us. Jesus doesn't want us to look different or act different. Jesus wants us to be different. He doesn't want it to be something that we're pretending to do. He wants it to be something that we really are. And we are not changed in this way by legalistically conforming to do's and don'ts. And this is hard. Standing in the gospel means we have to say, I want my heart changed. I want my mind renewed. My life transformed. But... It means that as we proclaim it to others, we give them space for Jesus to do that in them. Now we might say, hey, it would be good to read your Bible. You should come to church. But not read your Bible to be saved. Read your Bible to be cut to so God will love you. Come to church to be a good Christian. That's legalism. And it is far more difficult to be transformed than it is to be legalistic. Think about it this way. We're, we're nearly out of time. Is it easier to stop watching R-rated movies, to stop drinking alcohol, to stop going to dances, to stop smoking cigarettes, or is it easier to stop being envious of someone? Is it easier not to murder or not to hate? Is it easier to not commit adultery Or to not lust in your heart? Is it easier to stop harboring bitterness towards someone or not just punch someone in the head? Is it easier not to cuss in public or is it easier to turn from selfishness and put others ahead of ourselves? The do's and the don'ts are always easier. What Jesus wants for us is far more than external conformity to a list of do's and don'ts we may make up or has been passed down to us from the traditions of the fathers. 
What He wants is His Spirit and His Word and Him to work in our hearts, to work in our lives so that we are not appearing to be anything, but we are truly something different. We are like Him. Legalism can help someone act differently, but it can never help someone actually be different. Only the Gospel can do this. We must stand in it for ourselves so that we do not drift into legalism. And as proclaimers of the gospel, we must stand in it so that we do not put a yoke of slavery onto another. We must stand in the gospel and be faithful to the gospel and refuse at all means to ever add to the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we love You today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Help us not to drift. Lord, in different cultures, the push is different. In some ways, there is a push from the culture at large to drift into legalism. And we must stand against that. Lord, in certain other circles, there is a definite push to drift into legalism. And Lord, add that to our own natural tendencies towards pride to self-righteousness, our own natural tendencies to want to take the easy way and do the easy thing. Help us to be strong in You and in the power of Your might that though the river of legalism push against us, that we would stand fast in the liberty that You have given us through Christ. That we would stand fast in that as we proclaim the Gospel to others. And we would not try to yoke them up with a form of legalism that would really push them far from You. Have Your way. Let the Gospel be proclaimed in our church. Let the Gospel be proclaimed by us. Let us be bold with the Gospel we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.